Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. When we are still, we can listen as God speaks to us, even through all the background noise of the world around us. Pray with me this morning. Lord God, in this short time together, open our ears and our eyes to see your vision for this place and our part within it. Teach us, hear our prayers, enable us to serve you wherever that may take us in the days ahead, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. series on Paradise Lost, Paradise Restored. Now, I'm just going to recap a bit of the last couple of weeks. Um, we talked about how the Bible tells us that life began in the Garden of Eden. Uh, when God created the heavens and the earth, he was created to be a paradise where everything fit together with such perfection that when God finished his work, he looked at it all and he said, this is very good. But clearly, when we look around us today, we don't see everything as very good, do we? We see violence, we see division, abuse, injustice, we see poverty, starvation, we see people who grab hold of power, not caring that others get cast into the dark. Uh, life is not the way God intended it to be, and we understand that this is because of sin. It's because of disobedience, it's because we miss the mark. Instead of listening to God and doing what God asks us to do, we listen to the voice of Satan, which tells us to ignore the voice of God and the will of God and take hold of what we want in life, no matter what. Adam and Eve did that very thing, and they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Paradise was lost. But deep inside of them was an image of life in the king's garden and a desire to return to paradise. Uh, that is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. That image is still in us. We long to experience the life that God has for us. We long to live again in the garden of God. In the Old Testament, this idea of living in the garden of God was talked about as the promised land. We mentioned this last week. A land that God would give to his people where they would be blessed and then in return one day be a blessing to others. The promised land was to be a place of joy and gladness and thanksgiving where justice and righteousness and salvation were experienced by all. It was to be a place where God's people would do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. The Old Testament also tells us that Israel finally settled and became a nation in the physical land that God had given them called the promised land, and they were never, but they never fully embraced the life that God wanted for them. So when Jesus arrived, he lived in what we know as that promised land, but like the prophets before him, he had to keep calling people to uh, live the kind of life that God wanted them to experience. Jesus first, in many ways, his only message was a simple one, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now the word repent in the original language of the New Testament is a word called metanoia, which means to change your mind. I used to think this way, but now I think this way. I used to live this way, but now I live a different way. I used to see the world this way, but now I see things differently. See, repentance means that we literally turn around 
and we see differently. We think and act differently. And Jesus didn't call people to change uh, their location in life. He called us to change our hearts, to change our life, because paradise wasn't just about a place on a map. It was an attitude of the heart that gave direction to our life. What made Jesus different from the prophets before him was that he didn't just preach about the promised land or the kingdom of God. He just didn't teach about the kind of life God wanted us to live. He lived it out fully in his own life. Jesus was the very embodiment of the kingdom of God in this world. And in fact, when Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is at hand, in many ways he literally meant in their hands, within their grasp, right there in bodily form, was Jesus. So in Jesus, we see the actual life that God wants for all of us. In Jesus, we see the life God wants us to experience and to live out. In Jesus, we see the promise of God to Abraham fulfilled. Jesus was blessed by God, and he lived a life that was constantly a blessing to others. You know, there are 118 references in Uh, Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God in in Scripture, uh, but there are uh, so many more examples of this kingdom of God poured out uh, from Jesus' life and into the world around us. I want to draw your attention today to Luke's gospel, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we we are going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and suddenly the storm stopped, and all was calm. And then he asked them, Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Now here is Jesus calming a storm, and the disciples are so amazed. These these disciples who had walked with him and talked with him and heard him teach still didn't understand about who he really was. And so they ask themselves, who is this guy? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus' life is filled with power over all the forces of nature. And he calms the storms, and he walks on water, and he turns water into wine, but it doesn't end there. Look at how this story continues in verse 26. So then they arrive in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. And as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. And this spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send him into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. 
Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Now here we see Jesus driving out demons out of this person who had been possessed for many years. Everyone else had given up on this man. He lived in the cemetery. In many ways, he was dead. He was the walking dead. But Jesus drives out the demons and restores his life. Jesus then restores a young girl's life. Uh, In a later story, the girl who's 12 years old, she's died, and when Jesus arrives at the house, the people are weeping, but Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed, and the girl is healed. She was raised from the dead, and once again, the power of God's kingdom was coming out through Jesus. Now, the kingdom of God was to be a place of life and healing and power. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of that kingdom in all that he does. It was also to be a place of forgiveness and grace and love and because Jesus always offered grace and mercy to those in need. Jesus welcomed the outcast, forgave sinners, called everyone to a new life and created a community of all those who had been redeemed by his love and grace and power And this is what the kingdom of God is all about. This is what life in the promised land is all about. And Jesus' own life shows us how it's possible, even here and now. So the kingdom of God was seen in Jesus. But Jesus also taught us about this kingdom and invited us to live according to its values, according to its principles, and much of Jesus' teaching focuses around images of a garden. The garden images shouldn't surprise us because most of the people in Jesus' day were very much tied to the land. So they knew about seeds and plants and gardens, but it's also important to see that when Jesus calls us to embrace the kingdom of God, it's an invitation to once again live in the garden of God, an invitation to live in paradise that will one day be totally restored. Again, let's look at Luke's gospel, the eighth chapter. Before we see the power of God's kingdom in his life, Jesus told a story about a sower going out to sow seeds. Now, the sower in the story is Jesus, and he's doing the work of God. He's planting a garden. And Luke 8, beginning with verse 5, says, A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks, it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plant. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and this seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So through Jesus... God is once again planting a garden, and now we are the soil. The garden God wants to create isn't some plot of land someplace. It is a garden in our hearts and lives. God wants us to experience his life 
in the promised land. And so he gives us the seed, the potential to experience this life. And it's now up to us to decide what to do with it. We can disregard the seed or we can allow the seed to find a home and then turn away from it when hardships come. And some do that. We can even experience the life God wants for us, but then some turn away from it when the worries of life hit home. Or we can allow that seed to really take root in our lives and create something special in us. And what I love about this parable is that it's telling us that the kingdom of God can still be experienced. The garden of God can still grow, but it will only grow in us if we're willing to allow that to happen. We have to be willing to receive what God has for us. We have to be willing to nurture and care for the life of faith that God gives us, and we have to be willing to work to bring in a harvest. So the kingdom of God is a garden that God plants and and creates in us, and it's a life that God wants us to experience, but it's also a way of life that God wants us to work for in the world in which we live. In Matthew's Gospel, chapters 20 and 21, Jesus tells two parables about the kingdom of God and again uses the image of a vineyard or a garden. In each of them, God is seen as the owner of the land who creates this garden and calls people to work in it. In Matthew 20, the first two verses, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Matthew 21, verse 33. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. And then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. We are the workers who are being called into the kingdom of to work, and we are the tenants that God has given uh, his gardens uh, to so that we can not only live in the garden or experience the blessing of it, but we can work in it and through that work be a blessing to others. The work that we are to to do is simply to do what we see in Jesus' life and follow his teaching. Like Jesus, we're to offer grace and forgiveness to people. We're to work for justice and make sure that those who are in need are cared for. We are to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, uh, give water to the thirsty. We're to share the love and the grace and the power of God with other people. We don't work to receive the gift of life just for ourselves. We are called to work to bring that gift of life to others. See, life in the garden of God is a free gift. And once we really let that sink into our lives and allow it to change our thinking and our living and our loving, we will give ourselves to make it grow in the world in which we live. I want you to do something for me for a moment this morning. I want you to just think uh, briefly uh, here for a moment about your own life. And I want you to think that about the people that have influenced your life over the years. I don't care how, where you start and how long you know, you've lived, all of the people who played significant roles in your life uh, to get you where you are today. You see, while life in the garden is a gift given by God, we're all here because someone else gave themselves to work for God's kingdom. 
Personally, I am here because Mrs. Ellenberger was patient with me in vacation Bible school and helped me to accept Jesus into my life. I'm here because of a number of Sunday school teachers when I was young who took the time to plan a lesson, who gave up their weekends to teach a squirrely bunch of kids the stories of our faith. I'm here because Don and Ruth Kennedy, my youth leaders in middle school and high school, told us that we could be an active part of the local church and we could be part of worshiping and and serving and they helped us to do that and they opened their homes and their hearts to us for years. I'm here today because Jay Reynolds committed himself to spending every Wednesday night with us as a youth group, teaching us the word of God and helping us to learn how to pray. I'm here because my parents and grandparents showed me that faith was important through things like prayer and and a commitment to worship and serving in in the life of the church. I'm here because of some friends in college who helped me to see that living for Jesus could be a blessing, not just a burden. I'm here because these people and so many more over the years were willing to work for the kingdom of God. But you know what? Now it's our time. Generations of people have cared for and worked in the garden of God so that we could experience the kingdom of God and the life that God has for us. And now it's our time. It's our time to change our thinking and our loving and our living and our work to help people experience more of the life that God has for them. Today, we are the ones being called to go work in the fields. We are the tenants who have been given the garden. Jesus said that he is the vine and God is the gardener and we are the branches and we are to bear much fruit. Our lives need to bear fruit, which means we need to give ourselves to working in the vineyard. So what work can we do? Well, we can help people see and experience life in the garden of God. We can help change our thinking and our living and our loving so that our desire is to work in the garden of God and invite others into that work. Last week, we talked a little bit about how we're all managers of what God has given us. We're not owners. And we will all be held accountable before God for what we have have done with the possessions that God has entrusted into our care. See, the owner has complete rights to a full disclosure of what's been done with his property. And one day, our managing will undergo a job performance evaluation. And God will look for things like, how devoted have you been to God? How have we used the time that God has given us on this earth? How have we used the spiritual gifts and the abilities that God has handed to us to use for his glory? How have we managed our money? How have we used it to honor him? See, personally, I give to God because I have watched my savings account at the bank get little or no interest in recent years. I've watched my retirement funds wax and wane with the stock market, and I know that Jesus in the scripture reminds us that whatever we have on this earth will one day rust, mold, decay, or be wiped out in an instant. All of that is possible with anything that we own on this earth. But what I invest in, in giving to God through the local church, I give cheerfully because It is a treasure that will not be corrupted. 
The scripture said, it will, it can, no moth can destroy, no rust can come to it, it cannot be corrupted, and it has an impact for eternity. And over the years, other people have invested in me. I know that. But now it's my time. And that's what we affirm this morning when we make commitments on this Consecration Sunday. It's our time to give of ourselves to the work of God's kingdom. Thanks be to God.